Before we start today, uh, Rhody approached me, said that she felt like she had a word that she wanted to give, and, and I think that it's uh, it's a good word for us to hear this morning. So we're going to invite Rhody to come on over. She's going to give a word to us. Go ahead. When we were singing uh, that the Lord's word is a lamp unto my feet, I had a picture. I was holding a torch. And uh, then I wrote that down and closed my eyes again. And I'm, I'm still holding the torch, but I'm walking down the passageway, and I know people are following. They're not following me. They're following the torch. And uh, I have a little bit more that I could add, but I'm going to stop there. So there's there's your <laughs> Thank you. Praise God. Thanks, Rody. Thank you. Yeah, you can pray. Yeah. Um, how many guys know that even in a in a time of darkness, Jesus shines as the light of the world? Is that right? And like Rody said, it's not about her. It's not about us. It's about the light of the world shining in darkness and giving the world light. Um, I think that's right on, and I think that's that's part of what God has been speaking to me today. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Before we get going on on uh, a word that I feel like God has for us this morning, um, we wanted to say a quick prayer for uh, Debbie. Debbie woke up this morning, wasn't feeling so well, so that is why she is not here today. Um, so we're going to pray for her really quick. Uh, Lord, we just lift up Debbie to you. God, we pray that you would be with her even as she's now at her house. Would you speak to her body and make healing in the name of Jesus? We just pray for healing over her body. Lord, that you would touch her and raise her up. Lord, and for all those who are sick, God, especially in regards to our current crisis, this coronavirus, would you put an end to it in the name of Jesus? And Lord, would you bring about a time of peace in our land? And we pray that you would open our ears and our eyes to receive what you have for us today, Lord, that you would be the one speaking to us today and that we would hear your voice and none other. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen. 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 Well, we're living in an interesting time. I think that that's uh, probably the most, the greatest understatement of this century of the world. We're living in an interesting time. And we're struggling through not just one, but two monumental crises um, is what the world is going through right now. And it's not just us. These are both global crises, just like the coronavirus has hit the world so also um, we've seen outcries and uh, protests and demonstrations in London and Australia um, and across the world because of the tragic death of George Floyd and everything that's come after that and everything that came before that. And I think that one of the things that makes this particular time in history so very difficult to navigate is the sheer amount of misinformation available to us yeah. in the world yes. today. Not only are our lives being turned upside down, but many people have felt like they've lost their ability to trust others to give them truth, to give them right information. Many people feel like they can't trust the media or certain media. Uh, many people feel like they can't trust their politicians. They can't trust their government leaders. Uh, many people feel like they can't trust their neighbors. They can't trust their doctors. They can't trust uh, schools. They can't trust anybody. We're living at a time when we have the greatest need for truth 
And yet at the same time, the greatest doubt about those truth bearers. And it's very difficult and it's very hard. It's a time of crisis, not just crisis externally, but an internal crisis in, inside of us and inside of our own minds. It's a crisis of human psyche. Truth has been sacrificed because people would prefer to listen to something that they would already uh, agreed upon in their own mind than they are listening to the truth. <laughs> I had a friend, um, you hear about this, this thing called flat earth theory? You hear about this? Yeah. yeah. I, I had a friend who, who was into this. That there is a group of people, and I've seen polls as many as 2% of <laughs> Americans. 2% of, well, how many Americans? 440 million or something like that? That's a lot of people. Believe that the earth is flat. That the earth literally is flat. Now, it's very interesting belief to have. But they do believe that. And they have a list of YouTube channels that you could go to that would argue and give you all the facts about why that is flat. A lot of pseudoscience to back it up. We have lost our grip on being able to tell the truth. We have lost our grip on to be able to tell the truth. We, we've, we've become unhinged. Should we obey our government even when we disagree with them? Does injustice exist in the world? How should we value human life and what matters? Do we have an obligation to stand up for those who are suffering or not? It's at this time that we need to hold on to scripture. We need to dig deep into the word of God because there's truth here. There's truth here, which is immovable truth, which is the kind of truth that has survived for millennia, has sustained humanity in times of greater crisis than this. Even though we're now in a time, I believe, that is beginning to transform into a time of crisis, which is greater than previous generations have had to cope with, maybe several generations. But we need scripture at this time. Truth is about reality. Truth is about us. It's about God. We need scripture. Scripture is truth. And I'm disturbed as a, not just as a pastor, but as a, as a Christian, disturbed at how many Christians today have decided that they would allow their sense of reality, their sense of truth to be dictated by a political leader or by um, somebody uh, who has an agenda as opposed to the word of God on both sides of the aisle, liberals and conservatives. We would rather run and promote and rally towards a truth which is presented by a human than a truth that's presented by the word of God. That is a serious issue. That's a serious problem. So today we're going to look at the word of God. And here's what the word of God says. This is not a political statement. This is truth. This is what the word of God says in Micah. God has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. To do, to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That's not a political statement. That's a scriptural statement. Somebody says, what does God want from me? Let me tell you. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Here's another truth. Peter began to speak to Cornelius 
the Gentile. And he said, I now realize how true it is that God does not so show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know what that means? It means that it doesn't matter if you are a churchgoer. It doesn't matter if you are a protester. It doesn't matter if you are a police officer or the president of the United States. If you do not adhere to God's justice, you do not adhere to truth. You stand before God condemned already. I don't care who you are. It does not matter to God. God does not have a line in heaven saying everyone who thinks that they're righteous can be in this line. Everybody who doesn't think so can be in this line. I'm going to judge these people a little less harshly than those people. That's not how it works. God has a sense of truth and he has a sense of justice and applies to every single person equally. Every single person will have to stand before God and they will have to answer for the just or unjust actions that they have committed in their life. That's a reality. That's true. It's not political at all. That's just how it's going to be. So the question then becomes, what is the righteousness of God? What is the justice of God? What is the truth of God? Because I don't know about you, but I would rather figure that out now than have to appear before God and explain myself before him. I'd rather start now living a life of justice, living a life loving kindness, living a life walking humbly before my God now, than wait until I get before God and explain to him that there was extenuating circumstances to my life, that there was a lot of good political reasons for my actions, that there was a lot of, you know, really important things I had on my mind. And that's why I couldn't do justice or love kindness or walk humbly before him. And I hope that you don't get placed in that position either. We need to start walking in God's truth now, today. Is there injustice in our world today? Yes, there absolutely is. There is today. There was 100 years ago also. There was millennia ago. There is injustice today. And we must not become apathetic towards injustice. God is not apathetic towards injustice. God does not tolerate injustice. He does not tolerate unkindness. God does not tolerate sin. That's not a political statement. That's a scriptural statement. He says, get away from you, evildoers. Get away from me. Here's God's response to injustice. This is the passage we're going to focus on. This is out of 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. It says this, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. What does it mean to be reconciled to God? I mentioned uh, in previous sermons about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which was set up in South Africa after apartheid. After decades and decades of people disappearing, of neighbors turning in their neighbors, of families being divided one another, of uh, systemic injustices present in South Africa, the South African government decided to establish the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And the job of this commission was to expose and uh, reflect upon and offer forgiveness for 
the crimes that people had committed to one another. Because they realized that until you begin to confess the crimes that one neighbor has done to the other, you'll never be able to find peace or forgiveness or be able to create a just society when there's animosity lying beneath the surface. And so this commission was set up in a, in a part to bring reconciliation between peoples. And they, they, they did, they provided an, uh, amnesty to some who came and confessed to crimes. Uh, there was hearings, there was times for people to express things that they had done, things that had been done to them or their families. But how many of you know that the job of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission did not stop the day that they ended that commission? It wasn't as if they confessed everything, there was transparency, and then the people moved on and there wasn't any problems. And reconciliation has now occurred. It's not an example of complete reconciliation. Reconciliation does not just require truth-telling and forgiveness. It requires a daily decision to walk in light of that in light of forgiveness, in light of a new life, to change the way that we live. Too many people, and I'm sorry to say too many people have been deceived by the church in this, that we have told people, all you need to do to be reconciled to God is to say a short prayer, and that's it. Once you've done that, you're, you're done. Your reconciliation project has been completed. And that's simply not true. And I'm sorry to say that as Christians, we, we bear responsibility for dumbing down the gospel in that way. It's a very good first step. I want to say that, too. It's a very good first step. But it's not true reconciliation. Reconciliation costs you something. Because reconciliation costs God everything. Jesus died for you. Died for you. So, no, it's not cheap. The sacrifice was not easy. Grace comes free, but it doesn't come cheap. He sent his son to die on your behalf, to take every one of your misdeeds and to pay an account for them. Every evil desire of our hearts, every injustice that we create, every time we don't walk humbly, every time we act out of anger and not out of kindness, every harsh word, every violent action, every evil thought, it's been taken, and Christ has died for them. He was put to death for them. Christ died for every evil action that humans could ever do to one another. It cost him everything. It cost Christ everything. And the cross is a site of injustice. Where one who was perfect, one who was holy, one who did no harm, the innocent one, was crucified and killed because we couldn't stand him. Because we couldn't stand him standing there reminding us of our injustice, reminding us of our evil intents. And so we pushed him out of our communities. We pushed him onto the cross. Reconciliation is easy to enter into. The hand is open to everyone, but it is difficult to maintain. It's difficult to walk in. God's solution to injustice was first to send his son to provide a path for us, a path of righteousness. And then the project continues. And it's completed only when Christ comes again. 
So between Christ's death and resurrection, and when Christ comes again, you are commissioned. You, as followers of Christ, are commissioned by God to complete this process of reconciliation. You are the vanguards of justice. You are the final solution to injustice in this world. You are the solution. When others walk in hatred, you are the solution that turns them to love. God has made you an ambassador of reconciliation. That's not a political statement. That's a scriptural statement. You have been commissioned by God to work justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before the Lord. We are the hands and feet of an invisible God so that God's righteousness and justice might be worked out through us for this world. It starts at the cross, but that's not where it ends. And you now carry that responsibility. You are now ministers of reconciliation, like Paul says. And so we have to ask ourselves, how are we working out reconciliation in our lives? Many of us want to condemn those who are attempting their best to work out justice in our world. But we should be asking ourselves, what am I doing to bring about justice in my world? Now is a time when uh, many people I've noticed are looking to Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. online um, and elsewhere other platforms. Everybody likes to quote him. Nobody likes to quote everything from him, but everybody likes to quote something from him. Would you like to know what Dr. King's approval rating was in 1966? 33%. 33% approval rating in 1966. 1967, he was listed as one of the most hated men in America. In 1968, he was assassinated. That doesn't happen to people who are popular. That doesn't happen to people who are well-loved and well-liked. But it does happen to prophets. Are we at all surprised by that? We shouldn't be. Don't you know that people can't stand a prophet? That they drive prophets out? Look through the Old Testament. I, I love how people... Especially in, in Pentecostal circles, we love to talk about spiritual gifts. And everybody wants to say that they have a gift of prophecy. Would you do yourself a favor and look through the Old Testament and see what happens to prophets? Not good things happen to prophets. They get sawn in two. They get thrown into pits. They get exiled. Prophets don't have a good track record in the Old Testament. In fact, Isaiah says, all day long, I'm reaching out my hands, Lord. I'm doing what you asked me to do. And what do I face? People don't want to listen to me. They don't want to hear what I have to say. They've rejected me. They've rejected your word, Lord. They don't care. That's the life of a prophet. If you want the gift of prophecy, be prepared because society hates prophets. They will always drive out prophets. They always drive out prophets. If they crucified Jesus and he was perfect, how much more are they going to crucify us? It's not for the faint of heart, this process, this ministry of reconciliation. It's not for the faint of heart. But still, God has given us that commission. It's not something that we choose. I'm afraid to say it's not something that you get to choose. A lot of Christianity, I think, today is obsessed with this idea of choosing a life with Christ. There's some things that you get to choose. There's other things that you don't. Remember how Paul describes himself beginning his letters? Most of the time, 
you remember how he describes himself? He says, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. A slave. Now, we dumb it down and say the word servant, but in Greek, the word is slave. A slave of Christ Jesus. Paul didn't see his life as a series of choices he got to make. Once he had been captured by Christ, once he had turned his life over to Christ, his self-determination went out the window and he became a slave. Now, of course, Paul says you can either be a slave to righteousness or a slave to sin. People who don't follow Christ are not, not slaves. They're just bound to sin. But now you have been set free from sin by the power of the Spirit. And now you are a slave to righteousness. And your ability to choose your own commission has left. I apologize if this is the first time you're hearing this. You don't get to choose whether or not you want to be a minister of reconciliation. You are. It just depends on if you're doing a good job or not. That's all. But it's not a choice. You are the vanguards of righteousness. You are the vanguards of justice in this world. You are enlisted by God as a minister of reconciliation. Brothers and sisters, that's not a political statement. That's a scriptural statement. And it's got to go beyond our Facebook posts. It's got to be go, go beyond our local church attendance, although I appreciate you being here. If we were to have the same impact of Christ, as Christ in this world, we have to be willing to take up our cross and follow him like he told us to. And I acknowledge the difficulty of that task. The world is messy. Right? Some of us want to protest, but we don't want to condone violence. So we stay home. Some of us want to speak up against injustice or against discrimination in the world around us. But we're afraid that we're going to end up saying the wrong thing and, and look worse than we think we are. So we don't say anything. We want to reconcile the world to God. But it's messy and complicated. And we don't know where to start. So we decide that it's probably better that 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 complicated work gets left to a pastor. So we pay him to do the job for us or her. And then we go about living our life as best as we can. We leave the reconciling to the professionals because we know what we're doing. That was a joke. Thank you. Chris. I very much understand that sentiment though. I very much understand it. It's difficult. I understand that very much, probably more than, you know, I understand it, but it's my job. It's my responsibility as a pastor to ensure that every saint is equipped to do the work of God. I'm not interested in, in being a pastor if it means that, that the people who I'm leading are not involved in the advancing the kingdom of God. You have a role to play. You need a sword. You need a shield. You need a breastplate. You need a helmet. You need greaves and sandals. You need those things because you're in a battle. And the question is not, would you like to be a soldier in the army of God? The question is, are you well equipped? And are you rushing forward in battle? Or are you hanging back, hoping that the professional soldiers would take care of it for you? Hoping that those people who seem to know what they're doing will do justice and love kindness and walk humbly before the Lord. And, and maybe if I could just support them from the rear, I can get a pass from God. And I can appear before God and God can say, did you do justice? And, I, and you could say, well, I didn't want to mess it up. So I, I assisted those who I thought knew what they were doing. But no, I didn't do it myself. Well, did you love kindness? Well, I did to a certain extent, but kindness is a messy thing. And I wasn't quite sure where it stopped. So I kept away from the gray zones, let's say. So no, I didn't. Did you walk humbly before the Lord? Well, I tried to. But sometimes, you know, life gets the best of you. 
I'm not interested in having that conversation with God. I hope you're not either. I know you're not. I know you're not. Everyone has to die. Isn't that amazing? Everybody has to die. Everybody has to die and appear before God. Every one of us. That's not a, that's not a choice. Again, that's not a, you know, we don't get to say, well, I'm going to skip that part. No, everybody gets to die. Everybody gets to stand before God. Every single one of us. The question is, what will you say? Will you say, well, God, I didn't want to mess things up. Or will you say, well, God, I tried. I put my foot out there. I tried to do justice. And sometimes I messed up. And sometimes I said things that were wrong. And sometimes I said things which sounded very racist. But I did say something. I did try. Lord, I tried to walk in kindness. I, I messed up sometimes. Sometimes I, I think my kindness let others take advantage of me. Sometimes I think maybe my kindness led to my society suffering. But I did try to walk in kindness. And Lord, I tried to walk humbly before you. I, I didn't, didn't try to promote myself all the time. And I, I know I didn't do it perfectly, but I did try. I wonder, I would rather say that than say, well, Lord, it's sort of like the man who buried his talents, right? Jesus tells this parable, uh, this man's leaving, so he calls his servants to him and he gives them each a certain amount of money and he says, do what you, you know, do what you can with it. And he leaves and he comes back and goes to the first man. The first man said, I invested in the bank. Bank doubled it. Here's a profit for you. He says, good job. Here's some extra responsibility for you. You could serve it. Goes to the second servant. Same thing. Lord, I, I invested the money. Here's the extra. It wasn't as much as the first guy because he didn't give me as much. But, hey, I did what I could. And uh, here you go. And the master says, good job. Appreciate it. Goes to the third guy. And he says, what'd you do? And the guy said, I buried it backyard because I figured you didn't want me to lose it. And, you know, markets are a risky thing. And I know that you, you know, you work hard for your money. So here it is, completely intact. Nothing more, but nothing less. And uh, there you go, Lord, you know. And God says, get away from me. I gave you that to invest in. And sure, the markets might fail and you might end up losing some. But at least you would have tried. At least you would have invested. Try, people. Try. So, what's my responsibility as a pastor? My responsibility is to make sure that you know how to do what you need to do. Right? I always, this is another aside. You're going to love this. But if Bronson Hill's watching this, he's my old youth pastor. I know that it's not you. But this story's about you. Um, and that is when I was in youth group. And we were in youth group. And we were always told by our youth pastors, uh, you know, go out there and evangelize and, and bring people to youth group and invite them. I didn't know how. And I always felt like guilty because I had this weight on me that I was supposed to be inviting my kids to youth group, my friends to youth group. But I didn't know how to do that. I, I had no ability to do that. And I always just wished that my youth pastor would say, hey, this is what you could do. This is the path that you could walk on. This is, this is how this interaction could go. You know, here's some skills for you. Try this out. Why don't you try talking about this or try this or try that? But they, they never did that. And, and I don't put that on them. Like I said, Bronson, I love you. I don't put that on them. But that's how we are as a church. Go out there and do justice. All right, well, how am I supposed to do that? I just do it. Just do it. Well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Okay, well, you're supposed to do it. So go do it. So I'm not interested in that. All right. I want to learn from the mistakes of the past. So we're going to be talking in the next month, starting this week and then going until probably the first week of July. We're going to have a series of sermons called Reconciling the World. And each week, I'm going to be giving you something you can do, something very practical. Sometimes it'll be very easy for you to do. Sometimes it'll be difficult to do. But it'll be something that you can do, you can take home to bring about justice in our world, to bring about justice in your community.
And there's another part of this. And that is that sometimes, sometimes we are afraid of stepping out. I think that Christine probably had this scripture in her mind. That God did not give you a spirit of fear. But of what? Power and love and a sound mind. You have been commissioned for a task of reconciliation. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for God is with you. God is with you. I love that I see a lot of young people rising up and looking for justice, looking for justice, looking for justice. And I went to um, the vigil last week, and I went to the protest down in Newport, and it was good to be out there. It was good to support that. But at the same time, I'm beginning to see young people realizing that protesting is, is not going to be enough. They want, they want justice. They don't know how to get there. Brothers and sisters, we serve a God of justice. If you want to know how to get justice, it needs to come from the message of Christ. It needs to come from scripture. But the church isn't saying anything about it. So people are wandering aimlessly. You are the vanguards of justice in this world. God has commissioned you. So we're going to commission you. We're going to give you what you need. We're going to build you up. We're going to edify you so that you can go in the world and say, this is the justice of God. This is the truth of God. This is the reality of God. So that you can begin to provide direction to a world which desperately wants and needs justice but doesn't know how to get it. But you do. See, you do. We need to do that. It means following Christ in our daily lives. It means pointing others towards Christ. It means bringing people into the family of God. It means standing up for justice in the world, which has lost sight of it. Standing up for truth in the world, which has lost sight of it. Standing up for God's word. It means all those things. You have been commissioned as a minister of reconciliation. And I'm happy to say that that's not a political statement because I'm not interested in politics. If I was interested in politics, I'd be a politician. And then God would really have something to say to me. <laughs> not interested in being a politician. I'm interested in following Jesus. I'm interested in the Bible. Right. I'm not interested in justice as the world sees it. I'm interested in the justice of God. But that doesn't mean I'm not interested in justice. In fact, in Greek, the word for justice is the same word for the word as righteousness. Justice and righteousness, the same exact word in Greek. You want to be righteous, you got to be just. If you want to be just, you have to be righteous. So we're going to take communion together. Because the reality is that we can't know justice, true justice, until we have been reconciled to God ourselves. That's the fact of it. If we want to be reconciled to our neighbors, first be reconciled to God. And allow the reconciliation of God to dictate and drive your experiences, your relationships, your interactions with other people. And when we take communion, we affirm our relationship with Christ. For some of us, this might be the beginning. I recognize pretty much all of us in here, so I know it's probably not for us here. But for some of us online, if you have some bread or you have some juice or something like that, this could be the beginning of your relationship with Christ to say, Lord, I want to have more of you in my life. Many of us, this is a continued, a continued part of our journey. This is sort of like you moved out of your parents' house, but you call your mom every weekend so that you can stay connected to her, so that you can make sure that 
you haven't forgotten about her, that she hasn't forgot about you. I need to call my mom. That's a good reminder of me. <laughs> and she may invite me for Sunday dinner. She may. But she lives in Seattle, so it would be oh. a long walk. But we need to remind ourselves. And in fact, uh, Scripture tells us this, that on the night Christ was betrayed, he took bread. And what did he do? He broke it. Right? Take out. Can you take out the little piece of bread in there? He broke it in half. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He says, whenever you eat this bread, do this what? In remembrance of me. When you take communion, it's an act of remembrance, of remembering the sacrifice that Christ has done on your behalf and not forgetting it. Would you take the bread and eat it with me together? It says that after, after the supper, Christ took a cup with some wine in it. And he says, this, this cup is representative of the new covenant that is made in my blood. Whenever you drink of it, whenever you drink this, remember me. Remember me. And that's what we do when we drink it. We remember Christ, his righteousness, his justice, his life poured out for ours. Would you take this and drink it with me? So by doing this, says Paul, we bring to mind, we recall, we remember, we reenact, we recreate that moment again and again and again until Christ comes again. And that's how we need to live our lives. Never apathetic, never saying, well, this world is going to hell, so God better come and take us out of it quick. But only saying again and again and again. I'll come back to the altar. I'll come back to the cross. I'll come back to the empty tomb. I'll come back to these things until I see the will of God exhibited on earth as it is in heaven. That's what I'm interested in. That's what we're interested in. And so now I I just want to pray over you and commission you. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, that you would be ministers of reconciliations to this world. Reconciliation between humans and the divine and reconciliation between humans and each other. You are commissioned by God. You have been given an assignment. And so now I charge you in the name of our Lord that you would do justice, that you would love kindness, that you would walk humbly before your God today and tomorrow, and every single day, never growing weary of doing justice, never growing weary of loving kindness, and never growing weary of walking humbly before the Lord. In Christ's name, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I commission you for this task. Amen.